0: Hey, everybody. This is your host, Matt Castellini, and welcome to Chicago Capital. We have a great episode lined up today, but before that, a word from our sponsors, World Business Chicago. In 2021 alone, local founders have raised more than $5 billion in VC dollars, making Chicago a national destination for founders, investors, and innovators. As the city of Chicago's economic development organization, World Business Chicago drives growth and opportunity for our local tech economy and innovation ecosystem through its flagship programs such as the Chicago Venture Summit. Startup Chicago, Think Chicago, and Venture Engine. Learn more via worldbusinesschicago.com. John, thank you so much for hopping on Chicago Capital. It's a true honor to have you here.
1: Yes, thank you. I appreciate
0: the invite. I I mean, I love getting founders on who are working in the audio space because this is where I spend a lot of my free time. So anyone who's trying to build something in the audio space immediately gets an invite to Chicago Capital. It's just a (laughs) rule.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what we were just talking about earlier. It's just like... You know, you're a podcaster. I'm in the audio space. It just makes it kind of easy to go and chat, right? Like we both kind of understand this space.
0: Yeah, this is a space I knew nothing about a year ago. But starting a podcast, <laughs> I now know way more than I ever thought I would or wanted to know. So, yes, I'm very, v- very steeped in the space. Um, I think we'd love to hear a little bit more about your background. Um, you know, sure. leading up to the foundation of Lava. We'd love to just hear where you're coming from.
1: Do you want to get personal with it, or just uh,
0: let's stay stick to the business? I mean, we can do business, we can do personal, whatever whatever works for you.
1: Sure. I'll do the short synopsis. Um, essentially, I went to Ohio State a few years ago to study finance, so I thought I was going to be an investment banker. Had that whole plan you know, going forward. I wanted to do that since I was a teenager, ever since I got invested in some stocks. Um, and I had this really cool internship over in Mumbai, India, back when I was a junior in college. It was super rare and super random. Most people are like, why over there? But it just kind of fell on my plate and I took it. And when I was there, I really enjoyed the experience of being in India for you know a few months. But my internship kind of taught me I, I wasn't necessarily built for investment banking. And it wasn't like too difficult or anything. It was just like kind of boring. I, like, I just was like, yeah, you know, everyone's making a lot of money, but they're not having a lot of fun with their lives. And I'm kind of someone who just wants to have a lot of fun. So I went back and I got another internship that same summer at a startup studio where we were building companies uh, with other companies. So the idea was a big corporation would come, they'd do some research and develop with us, and if we created a product that they liked, we'd actually go and you know form a joint venture 50 fifty they'd be kind of the financiers, and we'd be the startups per se, right like we'd be building startups. And when I was there, I just did a lot of research on technology. like my role was to be mainly a researcher. And so I kind of learned all about these different forms of technology. Like over two years, I made 50 different reports. And it was just like, you know, 20 to 30 pages of this report on how a technology works, what startups are there. So I kind of got involved in like how this stuff works. And like, then when I graduated college, we're like, let's go and start building a lot more products. Well, we're gonna need a product manager. So I just kind of stepped up and was like, Changed my title. I am a product manager now. <laughs> it's super informal, uh, but I just started, you know, working as a product manager, learning everything I could about how to do that, and actually started like designing and developing products myself. So I just got really into how products look and how they work and how they feel, and that's kind of where my design background started. And then also I started building websites that we needed, so I started to actually learn like the tech and like literally like coding. And along the way, I was listening to a lot of podcasts as presumably you do right now. And I was like, wow, I should start my own. It can't be that hard, right? And I kind of figured out like it, it actually is hard, but it's not hard because you have to record audio and edit it. It's mainly hard because you have to go and promote it and distribute it, right? Like every podcast is a brand on top of your own personality. And it kind of just feels weird because if you have no personal network or like no big social network online, you have to not only build yourself up, but then you have to build that brand up. And it just became this whole mess that seemed like more than just a little side hobby, but more of like a part-time to full-time job. And with that, I just started thinking, like, how could this be better? How could it be easier? Um, you know, Everyone always talks about podcast discovery as this big problem for consumers. So I was like, there's so many problems on both creator and consumer side. There has to be something better. And I started looking at all the other forms of content, video, imagery, photography. Um, Oh, same thing, but video <laughs> imagery and and text. And I, and I realized that a lot of these forms of content all went through the same phase where it was like, you know, pretty hard to go and create and distribute. So there were small communities and then the social network came on and made it so that anyone could do it. And all of a sudden, famous personalities just popped up out of nowhere. People had the ability to actually go viral with their content. And you didn't actually have to be anyone to go and like be an influencer per se. And when you look at audio, it just there just was nothing there. Right, this is back in early to mid twenty twenty, which is nothing there, and so we just kind of set out and we said, can we build like an Instagram for podcasts? That was like the whole premise. And after doing a lot of user testing and iterating on the product, we eventually came up with this idea for Lava, which I wouldn't even say is the Instagram for podcasts. I really now just call it like a social network for audio, just based on how we've seen our users go and actually use the product, but. In essence, it's a mobile app that enables you to go and create, share, and discover recorded social audio with all of your friends. So everyone has a profile. Everyone has an algorithmic feed. Everyone has messaging and explore tabs. So you can really go and connect with people based on audio. uh, But then not only just record, but you can also consume it. So that's the whole premise.
0: So was that in your mind? And and first off, Your insights into podcasting and the challenges, I mean, you guys are dead on. Uh, I've been doing this for almost a year now. And it's something that I struggle with, uh, you know, really, I really do struggle with, you know, like distributing Mm -hmm. it and, and, and building a brand. It's just not something that... Inherently interests me, um, you know, building <laughs> right. a brand about myself. Like I, I don't really want to do that. I, I love doing the podcast, and mm-hmm. in my mind, I've always just said, you know, uh, just enjoy it, like have fun with it, work hard at it, and and things will come from that. But I think what you guys stumbled upon was a problem that I think a lot of podcasters go through. But I'm curious about once you launched the product, and would you say that it was a concentrated pivot away from podcasters, or you just zoomed out on who your total customers could be. You know, was that from early users telling you or, and and just maybe not as much traction with podcasters, but a lot of traction with regular consumers? How did that kind of evolve?
1: So yeah, it started with like a lot of user testing with the design. So I was fortunate where I was able to actually design like a fake app and I just reached out to random people online. Like I DM'd a ton of people and Essentially got like, you know, dozens of people to go and give me feedback. And a lot of people kept saying, oh, I don't think I need another podcast app. Or, oh, I'd really love to make a podcast, but, you know, I just don't know where to get started. So I kind of figured like a lot of these insights just came out of like listening to people, but then also like feeling the problem myself. And so when I looked deep down and thought, who am I? Like, what am I doing this for and why? I kind of noticed that like there's the people who make a podcast like yourself, like they've already taken the steps to go do this. So yes, they do struggle with those problems, but realistically, like the, that's a very small community. That's only like 2 million people. I mean, it, it's actually really less, but no one has the definite stats. It's like 2 million people, yet if you look at all the social networks and even the broader internet, there's three plus billion people on the internet. There's a massive gap between the people who actually make a podcast and those who could. And when I looked at myself and realized like I am kind of one of those people, like I love to use Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and social media, but i don't necessarily want to be a photographer i don't necessarily want to be a videographer or a blogger when i looked at that i realized like there's this massive gap in audio where you might not want to be a podcaster but you still might have things to be to say online and act like a podcaster so if there was a social network in place that could not only connect you with people but also go and take your content that you're talking about and put it and match it right to the perfect listener then all of a sudden you could get an audience without even trying
0: it feels to me something I notice with Twitter a lot is that I I personally don't think a lot of issues or a, a lot of topic points can be covered in 140 characters. No, I, <laughs> I, I think that the like we have lost a lot of the ability to establish context and to yeah. flesh out ideas as they properly should be. That's because you know long long uh, long form written word obviously is great and, and essays mm. are great and medium is great, but I think as you, as you know, a lot of people aren't, you know, they're, they're more auditory, they're more audio learners, you know, they want to listen to podcasts, they want to listen to long form conversations, but podcasts can also be four hours long in some situations. And <laughs> sometimes they're, they're very generous and they timestamp the topics of conversations with, you know, so you can go to what you want, but it seems yeah. like you guys are, you exist in that medium of, you know, more fleshed out uh, thought pieces than you would get on Twitter, but maybe not having to sit through a three hour long podcast to get there. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we're we're experimenting with with time constraints. That was something that was interesting is we came out of the gate and said, anyone can record like any length. And we've seen people record like multiple hours and we've seen people record like multiple seconds. It's like literally all over the board. So we're like trying to figure out like where it sits. But there is one thing for sure. And that is that there's a lot of things that you need a little more time to speak about. And that's where long form comes in. But when it comes to social media and discovery, Consumers tend to want things that are quick and snappy and they want to know if they want something right away. They don't want to necessarily go through the investment and the time of doing that. I mean, you've even seen that on TikTok. They increased it to three minutes, but making it through a three-minute video is, is actually pretty hard. Um, and so for what we're doing is we're letting anyone record their amount of time, uh, like whatever they want. They can record however they want, but every single user gets to select a 30-second clip that plays on the feed. So when you go and scroll through this feed of imagery, and text, which is your, you know, um, your titles and comments and likes. You also are getting like the 32nd clips that the creator got like selected when they created that content, which makes it short, snappy for discovery. But when you want to dive in and actually get the real juicy content, you can go and just click on that and listen to the whole piece of content.
0: And so how do you guys view what you're doing, uh, compared to like what clubhouse was doing? Mm -hmm. Do you see comparable? Do you see it as a direct competitor? How do you guys view clubhouse?
1: Yeah. So when Clubhouse came out, we were like midway through the development. And so initially we're like, oh, oh, shit. You know, this isn't good. But at the same time, I was like, actually, let's go and reposition the way that we see this. This is actually really good. A lot of people now just discover that audio as a social format can work and can thrive and can succeed. And the way that I saw it is that what they're doing is really novel with like live audio and, and bringing hundreds of people together to go and speak. The problem is that it's live and I just have this like fundamental belief. I always have that live content is not as good as asynchronous or recorded content where discovery happens post creation. You see this with like YouTube and Twitch, right? Like YouTube is a bigger platform than Twitch. Um, You see this with Instagram and even Snapchat, like Instagram is a bigger platform because everything is posted and then discovered versus Snapchat, which is kind of real time photography. So there's just two different sides of social media market, and that is the synchronous and asynchronous, the live and you know discovery post creation. And we see Clubhouse as like they filled that you know synchronous real-time spot very well. We're gonna come in and feel that fill that asynchronous spot very well in social audio. and I think there's perfectly enough room in the market and perfect like differentiation between the products that us two can actually like work together and coincide and exist as two different platforms.
0: So I'm curious about your, the users on the platform today. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, are you getting comedians? Are you getting people who want to be politicians? Are you getting just regular (laughs) everyday folk? I mean, who's, what's kind of the makeup of your consumer base today or your users? Yeah, we have have the next president on our platform right now. I mean, maybe.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. That'd be crazy. Um, yeah, it's kind of like all over the place. So there is just a warning, like we're pretty new. Like we launched into beta in July. And so we've been really like testing it out and it's still pretty private. Like we, we're not very public with it. So we have just a few thousand people on the app and it varies from people who are comedians. Like you said, we have people who are writers and authors who are going and reading the content that they wrote. We have people who are just like random. I, I don't I don't know how to put this, like random people. Like just there's nothing special about them necessarily, but they use the product to connect their friends. And it's actually pretty funny because like sometimes I'll go on and it'll be like my friend posted from last night, just like a two minute audio clip with their friends. And it just gives me like a laugh or it's just like I just feel like some sort of connection with them, like I was there with them. And so it's just all over the place of like being a social network for your friends, but then also being this professional network with like actual content creators, like with real podcasters, real writers, you know, real photographers talking about their work. So TBD, like who this is perfect for but I think that we're going down the right path of like exploring all these different variations of the people who could use it and why they would use it.
0: Well, I mean, and I mean, even back to that political point, I said it in jest, but I see politicians trying to utilize Instagram more and more now. Um, Mm -hmm. I see some of them with podcasts and those are some of the younger kind of more innovative politicians who kind of have a better, you know, finger on the pulse of, 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 you know, social media today. But, I think something like your platform, because of the low kind of barrier to entry to get your Mm -hmm. thoughts and your words out there, you don't need to create a podcast, which, as you mentioned, it's not hard, but it still requires hours of work. You got to figure out the name, the logo, the title, you know, get the right software in place, get somebody to produce it for you. I'm assuming if you're a politician, you need a lot of help on it. (laughs) This seems just like it's a much faster way of getting content out there for people who want to.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So you can have those politicians, but you can also have people from all around the world who would probably never take the steps to go through with making a podcast can now go do that. They can get their voice and find their voice on the Internet. So you have people who maybe aren't connected to the network of Calm and Headspace, but they want to be meditation teachers so they can log on to Lava and record right there. Or even we've had people who are musicians with guitars come on and go and record their songs right there. And so it's really just like audio in general is who we're like fit for. And that's like the vision that we also have is like, can we give everyone a voice on the internet if they want one? And that is like our goal, our mission. It's not necessarily to go and like, you know, be the perfect platform for people to be podcasters. It's really just like give people a voice on the internet and let their voice live forever where the other apps to like your earlier question, you know, they kind of let your voice die after that conversation's over. We think that's kind of a a bad thing about live audio and whatnot.
0: And so, you know, what's, you mentioned it's in beta right now. What is your guys' product roadmap?
1: Oh, (laughs) honestly, we've gotten this, that our product roadmap is probably way above, like, what it needs to be right now. We have, like, five years planned out. (laughs) Um, But, (laughs) yeah, yeah, this is a product manager inside me where I just am like, ah, we have so many features that we want to build. But right now we have the basic iOS app. And that alone in the past four months has changed drastically. I mean, we just had a messaging in last week, and it, it was actually pretty crazy. We just, like, I was looking at the analytics earlier, and that drastically increased engagement. Um, and we kind of expected that to happen. But regardless, we're adding all these features in all the time, like, really iterating on the app. And, like, to the point of live audio, like, we are adding that in in a few weeks because we do see that it, like, helps people get involved to create content. Um, but it's not – it's just a feature. It's not going to be the main aspect of what we do. So in essence, like high level is like, let's go and create this iOS app and then go and release Android in a few more months because we already have the code to do that. We're mainly just testing it with our user base. Then let's actually go and build a web app so that people can get on just like we're doing right now with Squadcast and get like their voice on there with their desktop, which is traditionally how a lot of podcasters do it. And then once we do that, we're just going to keep expanding to all these different devices, but then also start to actually build our business out And so the way that we see it is that we could roll with advertising like every other social network. That's a guaranteed model. We know that it could work. And dynamic advertising really could use some work. Like dynamic audio advertising is very outdated, but we don't need to go into that. Point is, we could do that if we want to, but we see that there's different models that we could roll with that not only requires us to have, or that they don't require us to have such a massive network, but they also reward the creators in our network. And so those models, what we're calling our direct models, are things like guest booking, where you can go and pay for someone's time. That person can determine how much their time is worth. We help them like determine that price. But then anyone on the platform can go and book that guest for 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, however much it may be. We have things like tipping that we're gonna bake in and even like premium audio and premium recording features so that it can remove the background noise and make it sound super professional. So we have all these models that we're gonna get in there and we think that if we have the direct models in place, the people who are creating content will actually be financially rewarded for creating good content. And then if those don't work, we'll roll with advertising. So that's kind of the the long-term business and how we see it.
0: I think it's interesting. I think you guys... Are almost starting at an advantage because you've seen sort of the trends of how other audio-first social media platforms have operated. You've seen probably the rise of Patreon. I think yep. you guys are just coming to this idea at a really interesting time, and how these business models are evolving and changing over time. You guys can kind of iterate, figure out what works best for you. Um, I, I'm really curious about one topic that I actually haven't gotten into with anyone in the audio space is. Okay the rise of the so-called future of audio trend. You know, the rise of <laughs> right. how how much money is getting invested now into this space. And a great hypothesis I heard was the reason behind it is because of what both of us are currently using right now on this podcast, is the rise of AirPods. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious if you think that plays a major role, or or what other trends you think have sort of spurred people and 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 this wish to have social media be in the form of audio.
1: Yeah, so... AirPods, like, nonetheless, definitely a big trend influencer. Like, you cannot deny that. Not even just AirPods, but just the general, like, you know, wireless headphones. They made it so that it's audio everywhere. Like, just think about it three years ago, back in 2018, when they first came out. I think that's when they came out, maybe 2017. But before they came out, everyone had their, you know, wires wrapped up through their shirt or, you know, all over. And it was really inconvenient. So... You saw people walking around with headphones because they wanted to listen to audio, but you didn't see as many people as you see now. I mean, you walk on the street and it's, it's literally like every other person, if not every person, has some sort of you know audio device plugged in when they're walking on the street or where, wherever they're at. So audio everywhere is definitely the big trend that's helped push like more audio formats to become big. But then also the rise in podcasting is huge. I mean, back in 2017, I think the number was 200,000 podcasts existed. And now we're up to around 2 million. So people as creators also saw the benefits of going and sharing their ideas through their voice on the internet. And then also consumers started getting into it. It wasn't just creators that created more podcasts, it was consumers started consuming way more. And it's because people like myself discovered them and were like, wait, these are actually awesome. I feel like I know these people and I've never met them. So it's like the connection between audio is like a huge, huge feeling that a lot of people are just starting to discover. And then even like The 2020, 2000, or sorry, 2021, 2020 trend of this live audio, like what you're mentioning with Clubhouse, that also pushed more people into it. And so there just keeps, there's all these like waves and continuums that just keep happening that introduce audio to more people and show them that it is a format that they actually want to consume and create. Whereas just a few years ago, this just wasn't a thing, it was just mainly music.
0: Yeah, no, I I completely agree, and I think there's a there's a great chart that shows the uh, annual revenues of AirPods alone and how it stacks crazy. up, how it stacks up against yeah. other major tech companies, and it's like the third highest, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I don't, I might be wrong, I might be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure AirPods made something like twenty billion dollars. Yep. in Twenty twenty. Like, yep. 2020. like uh, yeah. That's ridiculous. That is.
0: Yeah. Massive, massive business. And for context, uh, Twitter was like three billion.
1: <laughs> right, like, it, it's mind-blowing how much they made. Uh, so yeah, we've just, we've seen the hardware accelerate, we've seen um, the content quality accelerate, we've seen content consumption accelerate, and even like content platforms like Lava. Like, really just a few years ago, there wasn't that many apps for creating audio. and There still aren't today. Like, we still see this as a like, very nascent and young and auspicious industry. And that's kind of why we're tackling it headfirst.
0: And so moving forward, i um, curious about kind of like your guys' fundraising status. Like, if you've taken mm-hmm. outside capital, if you're looking to in the next six to 12 months, you know, where, where are you guys, uh, you know, in that sort of cycle?
1: Yeah. So we bootstrapped the whole development. It was myself and my co founder. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have the skill set to go and actually build this app. I'm a designer, he's the engineer. So we both just would sit there and code all night. Um, which it's actually really great. I didn't have that with all my other companies that i tried. Like I always had to like outsource those skills. And so having it, it's very, very big for building something. Uh, but because of that, we didn't have to actually raise any money until really now, where now we're like in this private beta, we're seeing good traction. And we're like, let's go and raise some money so that we can build a slightly bigger team aimed around growth, like people who can focus all the time on growth. And then also like, you know, enhance our engineering so that the app runs faster and works smoother and whatnot. And so we're raising just a pre-seed round, pretty small pre-seed round, to be honest. And we'll probably close that in the next month. And then within the next six months, we'll probably close out our seed round. So we're really trying to accelerate the fundraising, but it's just started very recently.
0: So since you're a consumer social app, uh i'm curious about being based in Uh, chicago are you looking at this is gonna
1: come up (laughs) i i
0: mean you had to know this is gonna come up i mean yeah of course (laughs) what's it been like in chicago are you looking outside of chicago what's uh give us the skinny on on raising as a uh, consumer app in chicago
1: um let's just say it's tricky it's tricky (laughs) uh i was talking to someone yesterday about this how like you know the companies here like a lot of them get judged off of revenue so it's easier it's harder and easier for those companies to get funding because it's like, do you have revenue or not? Like it's just a very easy metric where consumer apps, like historically are a lot of times more of like measured off of user growth and network growth. And you can plug in revenue models, like what I described as direct models. We can plug those in, but we've been told by everyone don't do that because as soon as you do it, you'll be judged by revenue. And if you have a small network, not going to have a ton of revenue off the bat. So we've kind of had to play this tricky game here where we're, we're like, you know, one of the handful of people actually trying to raise money for consumer apps in Chicago. And so I've not only had to do the job of meeting all these different angel investors, many of which have never done a consumer investment or something, but I've had to kind of convince them like, Hey, if we do this and we do it right, like not only will you be one of those people who actually believed in one of the few consumer apps and like took the right risks um, in Chicago, but also like, you can ride along for this journey that no one else has seen right because everyone has seen the b2b go from nothing to something not many people have seen the b2c go from nothing to something here in chicago yeah and so it's like a lot of convincing a lot of like you know telling the future of what we see on how we think we can give everyone a voice on the internet but with that being said we also are going to the coast like i was out in la two weeks ago so you know we're not we kind of see this as like we're an internet business so there's no need to go and restrain ourselves to being a Chicago startup. Yeah. Like we will have offices in Chicago and be based here, but for fundraising terms and even hiring terms, like we are an internet business. So we are going to utilize every geography that we can to go and raise money, grow the team and, you know,
0: scale the product. And I'm personally like, I, after Cameo, I, I would have thought, I mean, this yeah. is a, I, I had a hypothesis like, all right, Cameo is going to open the floodgates for consumer apps in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it's, it's, it's going to be a new wave of consumer companies that are comfortable raising here, uh, because of Cameo and, you know, that could still pan out, like st- still could be the case, but again, there is just this legacy sort of, you know, um, um preference for those enterprise software companies that, yeah. you know, could show you ARR from the early days. And it's, you know, it is what it is, but, you know, hopefully in the future that, you know, there will be a huge sea change. There will be more companies like you guys that just, you know, crush it here and are based here yeah. and have a few angels that, like you said, came along for the ride, have awesome returns and, you know, can, can, you know, reinvest into other consumer app companies. That's my hope for the ecosystem. I think it's kind of necessary, but you know, we'll, we'll see. It'll
1: probably happen. I mean, if you think about it, Cameos it was started in 2018, like they're like three years old and, and for what they've done in three years is like, holy shit, that's impressive. Yeah. uh yeah so it just takes time like they just gotta you know mature and like people gotta divest which right now not many people have had that opportunity at cameo and just with some other companies here too like they're all young we're really young right like we started this year so i think the ecosystem will evolve to that but i will admit it is hard like it's not easy to find employees right it's like how do we find a good growth manager here well like everyone's grown SaaS. not many people have grown consumer so it's like Maybe we have to hire our first growth manager outside of Chicago. You know, it's just kind of these decisions do come into play. And that's just what we have to face and deal with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, John, thank you so much for hopping on Chicago Capital. I guess before we leave, I'd love to hear any bits of advice. I have a lot of friends from B-School who are considering (laughs) starting their own company. Uh, You know, I've talked to people who are in that sort of state of, you know, uh, do I do it or do I not? So any bits of advice for anyone looking to, you know, go down the entrepreneurial journey?
1: Yeah, so this is something that's uh, it might upset some people, but I worked at a startup studio before this. So I kind of got to see like the idea of building a lot of companies for other people or building a lot of ideas that are not your own versus, you know, what I'm doing now with Lava is like building something where I actually experience the problem. And the bits of advice that I've heard before, but I will reiterate is that you should really start something that you actually care about and that you actually experience as a problem. Because like trying to build those other products and companies that were problems other people faced, where I just maybe saw a good business opportunity or something, they were really, really hard, right? I had to do a ton of user interviews. I had to really dive into the problem. And oftentimes, I get months into that project and just be like, I honestly just don't care. Like, it just doesn't bother me enough. Versus this, like with Lava, I cannot, like, not think about it. It's like I go to, go to bed thinking about it. I wake up thinking about it. And it's because, like, I still face this problem. And I'm like, how do we solve this? right? And I experienced it firsthand. And it just becomes so much easier to talk about because you want to, you know, it's like in your interest. So that's probably the the number one tip.
0: No, that's great. That's great. I love that. And that makes total sense. Uh, and I think what you guys have built is really impressive and really excited to kind of see how you guys grow and have you on the show once you keep raising these rounds and keep growing. <laughs> yeah. So, so John, thank you so much for hopping on. It's been a true blast. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take care. Yeah, you too.